All right, we're ready for our new series we're starting this week called Fixer Upper. Chip and Joanne will not be with us this morning. (laughs) We still got an invitation out. Hopefully they'll show up and uh, do this series with us. But I don't know how many of you watch the show Fixer Upper and and, uh, a lot of people do. I love it. I I like watching those things. Don't necessarily like doing those things, but I like watching other people do those things. It's like, I'd like to have those people come and do that stuff in my house. Uh, But uh, it's just anything about fixing things up and improving them. And I'd been wanting to do a a series on the book of Nehemiah for a long time. And uh, so when I was thinking about the beginning of this year and we talked about building and how God was telling us to build people and he wanted us to build uh, based on values and culture. I thought, man, what better to do a subject about building than Nehemiah? And so then we talked about being at a fixer-upper because we all are, we're all fixer-upper projects, amen? We're all, we could all qualify as fixer-uppers. So if you get your sermon notes out and open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter one. Woo! Nehemiah chapter one. We're gonna talk about fixer-upper. This series is gonna be very good. I'm looking forward to it because we're all in the building process. None of us have arrived that I know of. If you have, raise your hand and we will start praying you for lying right now in church. <laughs> But we're all, we're all in the process of, of growing into what God has for us, and we're wanting to become everything that he wants us to become. And so it's, this series is going to be about strengthening and building up areas of our lives that maybe have just fallen into ruins a little bit. Maybe they're not where they need to be. Maybe they're not fortified. Maybe they're not as, as we think God would have them to be. We're not where we would like them to be. So we're going to talk about how do we, how do we build these up. And, but when some, for something to even qualify as a fixer-upper, you got to realize that the thing itself, if it's going to be a fixer-upper, it cannot be in good shape. I mean, if it's going to qualify to be on the show, it has to be in need of repair, So who qualifies for this series? Anybody that's in need of repair. Anybody that has an area of their life that could use a little fixing up is ones that we want to qualify for this. So I want to give you a little encouragement. Even if you got some things that have been damaged or destroyed or fallen apart or you think they're totally lost. I've seen some of these people bring back stuff and sell it that I thought there's no way. Man, that room looks, I would want to take a bulldozer and just start over. And they're like, no, no, we can do this, this, and have it as good as new. And I'm like, wow, what a great picture of what God can do in our situations when we have the master builder come in and repair some things that have gone astray or things that have been damaged. So let's take a look at this in Nehemiah chapter 1. Because sometimes things get damaged just through negligence. Some things get damaged because of intentional stuff that happens. You know, somebody comes in and messes it up on purpose. And, and sometimes it's just because normal wear and tear. So you may have some stuff in ruins. It's just normal wear and tear. We need a refresher. So let's talk about how we can rebuild today. Nehemiah 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. It came to pass in the months of, month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel. A lot of words there that you want to just go ahead and practice pronouncing before you preach a sermon. (laughs) Notice how I went through those with a flawless representation. I'd like to say that's the way it went the first time, but not so much. And I find really if you just make up your own pronunciation of words, people don't know the difference. So you don't really know. (laughs) Just make it up as you go. 
But no, that's not the focal point of the message, but I do want to draw attention to a couple of things as we set the stage on what we're going to talk about here. In verse 2, you know, the Bible always gives some unique specifics sometimes, and, and I used to read over those, and now I'm learning to read every word of the Bible and pay attention because God never makes a mistake. I really learned that a lot through our And Then the End Shall Come series. The things that I thought were just random cities and places, God's like, woohoo, there's a reason. So there's even things here when he talks about the month of Kislev and uh, that period of times, late November and early December on our calendar. So just get a picture of when we're talking about. Nehemiah is thinking late November, most of, no- of December is when he's in this city called Shushan. And then in verse 2, says that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So Hanani, which is actually his literal brother, scholars believe, came and he starts asking him a question. He starts talking to him because remember they're in, in Shushan, he starts asking about the Jews who escaped from captivity, and, and you're like, okay, so what's going on? Well, I want to set the stage for you a little bit because if you'll bring up this map, in, in 586... King Nebuchadnezzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, they conquered Jerusalem and conquered Israel. And you see a picture there, the tan of the Babylonian Empire. This was 586 BC. They conquered Judah, burned its cities, destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls, knocked everything down, and they removed the Jews and sent them to Babylon. You see Babylon over there to the right side, that is modern day Iraq. And so that's where they exiled them to under Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chad's name is everywhere in the Bible. So you really ought to understand the anointing on that name. So now, you see, <laughs> so Babylon, you're like, man, he is in rare form today. Yeah. Dawn's out of town, so these things happen. We're eating Reese's cups and everything. We're just running wild at our house. So anyway, Babylon, they, they exiled them to Babylon. But then a few years later, a guy from the Persian conquered. So we bring up the next slide. In 537, about 30 years later, the Persians actually conquered the Babylonians. So you see the media, and the, that's the Medes and the Persians, they joined forces, and that's modern-day Iran. And they came in, and they conquered all of the Babylonians. Bring up the next slide. I believe it will show you that the Persian Empire grew. So the media Persian Empire spread all the way east of Iran, all the way through Turkey, and uh, into Greece, parts of Greece, down in Egypt, Syria, all of that was the Persian Empire. So just give me a a little scope of what we're talking about in this story and where where Nehemiah is. And notice he said he was in Shushan or Susa, and you can see it over there just to the east of Babylon on the map there. That's where Nehemiah is when this story is taking place. So get an idea, the Persians are in control, and if you remember a little bit about it, or when the end shall come series, this is very important because the Persian Empire is the one that was going to come back and reform again, but that's something we'll talk about later. So the, the, uh, they took over Jerusalem and took over all of that area, and he is in Shushan whenever we, we find him. And so look what happens. So he talks to his brother and asks him about those survivors. In verse 3, 
And then uh, Hanani says to him, the survivors who are left, because remember what happened, whenever the Persians took over, they actually allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar had exiled them from Jerusalem, but, but the king of Persia allowed them to go back. And uh, there's an underlying story there that we'll get into later on in Nehemiah. But, but it's very important to understand he allowed them to go back. So Nehemiah did not go back along with a lot of the Jews. And he has said, hey, about the people who went back to Jerusalem, tell me how they're doing. Those are my people. Tell me how they're doing. So verse 3 is when he begins to give him a report. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the, its gates are burned with fire. So when we're talking about a fixer-upper series or a fixer-upper project, today I'm going to talk about four parts. Four parts that qualify something to be a fixer-upper. Number one, if something's going to be a fixer-upper, you have to have a cause. Nehemiah found his cause in verse 3. We'll see it here. And what was his, his cause? A cause is a reason or a motive for action. A cause is something that's going to make you do something, make you want to do something. It's a, a reason that you would get involved. You find a cause is a re, something that motivates you. And it's like when David uh, went to help his brothers and he brought them the, the, their lunch and Goliath's out there yelling and screaming and got everybody afraid. You know, and David says, you know, he asks, he says, well, what's going to be done for the guy that kills this dude? And they tell him that, well, you know, you get the king's daughter and you get exempt from taxes. And so David said, I'm in. I'll take that. That's a deal. So he said, I'm going to kill this guy. And his brother you know, said, so listen, David, where are the few sheep that you're supposed to be tending? You're a prideful little thing. Why don't you go back and do that? And he turns to Eliab and he says these words. He said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? So he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're listening to the same thing I'm listening to, Eliab. How come it's not moving you to action? And this is what's very important on a fixer-upper in your life. You need to hear a cause that motivates you to action. There should be something about it that says, wait a minute, mate, I, I hear something and that makes me want to act. Other people hear it, they want to run. There should be a cause that God's put on the inside of you that makes you want to jump in and do something about it. We'll talk about what qualifies for your cause, but this is the first part. We have to have a cause. A cause could be a house for Chip and Joanne, but for you, it may be something totally different. A cause that you say, you know what? I want to get involved with that. I want to see that change. I want to see that improve. So here's the cause he heard in verse three, two things. Number one, the people are in great distress and reproach. He hears that about his people. Great distress and reproach just means they're in a state of shame, shame, a state of disgrace. The, this is the focus on the enemy to get you down and to keep you down. Some of you may be in this condition or know somebody who's in this condition. People are in distress and they're under reproach. What it means, that this is a, a cause that we need to hear about, is that where people are in a state where they're ashamed, they're beat down, and they can't get up. I'm not talking about down like humility. Humility is a good thing. Humility is a place that we, go, we take ourselves down so that we can begin to work up from there. Shame and disgrace gets you down and keeps you down. Humility is when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and then he exalts us from a place of humility. Humility is a launching pad for the greatness of God in your life. You need to hear me. Humility will launch you forward. Pride will hold you back. 
Shame and disgrace will keep you down. But if you will humble yourself and go low, then God will bring you before great people and he will use you to help other people. There's a big difference between shame and humility. And this is what we're talking about. Shame is one that they were brought down, they were humiliated. It represents a loss of value, a loss of identity, loss of purpose. Get a picture of the condition of these people. This is what Nehemiah was hearing from his brother. It says the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. What do the walls broken down mean? Walls represent protection. Back in these days, I mean, you had to have walls for protection around your cities. And so walls represented protection. And, and they, they were, the walls were broken down means they were open to attack from the enemy from all angles. And so their defense systems were down. Maybe you know somebody like this. Maybe you've got this in some areas of your life where you let some walls to be torn down. And whenever we do that, the enemy can get access into our life where they shouldn't get access. We need to keep some walls up in our life to keep the enemy out. One of the purpose of the walls is to put boundaries so the enemy will not be allowed past this point. You can't get past this. When we're rebuilding walls in this series, it's about rebuilding some boundaries where you say to the enemy, you will not go past this point anymore. It's you drawing a bloodline in your life and saying, wait a minute, I'm building a wall there and you will not penetrate me anymore in that area of my life. Come on, somebody. See, we've got to rebuild some walls to keep the enemy out. And you got to realize you have a right to do that. You have the right to do it by the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross. You can build a wall and the enemy cannot cross that line. That's an important part of the wall. But the other important part of the wall is also keeping us in because here's the, what the enemy will do and what he loved to do in that culture. If he could not get in, the trick was to try and get you to come out. So we need to build walls to protect ourselves. We need to build boundaries to prevent ourselves from going past certain points. Here's where you need to rebuild some walls in your life, maybe, to rebuild some convictions that you need to say, I will not go past this point. See, Joshua, maybe, remember Joshua, they went after this town called Ai, it was after Jericho, and and, uh, they got defeated. And so the second time they prayed, and, and they went back to take on this city, and it was walled, and they couldn't get in. So Joshua put an ambush, a, a posse over here, and said, you hide over here. We'll come like we're going to attack, and then we'll turn around and run like we're afraid, like we did last time. They'll come out of the city, and then when they come out of the city, you go in the city behind them, and you light it on fire. And then they, so they did that. And then the, the enemy that comes out of their city, they think they're chasing them. They turn around, they see their city's on fire, and it's burning. And they get, oh no. So they turned to go back to try and protect their city that was vacant. And now Joshua and his enemy comes out of the city and the other people that are running turn on them and they're sandwiched right between them and they defeat him. Here's the point for you and I. Sometimes we let some walls come down in our convictions and we start compromising and we go out of places we shouldn't be going out of. We cross boundaries we shouldn't be crossing. And we get ourselves in a pickle because we let our wall be destroyed in an area where we should have stayed inside instead of going outside. We draw a boundary, say, listen, uh, sir, you will not touch me there. Boyfriend, girlfriend, sorry. No, we're not going to be alone like that in this place with the lights off. I built a wall that will protect us. Nobody wants to agree with me this morning. That's all right. That's okay. 
you got to build walls and boundaries. I will not go there with my mouth. I will not go there with my attitude. I, I will not respond. I've built a wall of protection. I'm not going there. I'm not going to get involved in that offense, devil. You're not going to get me out of my protection of the love of God. I'm going to stay put. He wants to draw you out. Come on, tell him, tell him. Just go ahead and say it. You'll feel better. No, no, no. Stay inside your walls. Stay inside the protection of the love of God. It's very important. These walls were tore down, and that's what these boundaries were for. The gates were burned with fire. Now think about the gates were burned with fire. What's the gates? Gates are entry points. You know, got the walls. The gates are the entry points where people would come and go. So I begin to ask, okay, Lord, let's talk about that. Let's talk about are there any gates in your life where people have come and gone and have burnt you? Has anybody got burnt from people coming and going in your life? <laughs> I think this could apply to most of us if you'd raise your hand and feet if it applies to you. See, sometimes it's going to happen that people are going to come and go in your life and your gates can get burnt. And so now what can happen, we talked about this a little bit last week, you can shut off access and say nobody else is coming in. I've been burnt for the last time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get burned anymore, so nobody else is getting in. Well, you may not get burnt anymore, but you're also not going to let people get in that need to come in to bring healing into your life. See, because some people have closed gates off in the name of protection. And I said, well, I need to protect myself. No, sometimes, sometimes, be careful. Sometimes people put up gates and barriers and they're not protecting themselves. They're protecting an offense. I'm not going to let them, I'm not going to, I'm going to just separate from them and I don't want to be around them anymore. Be careful. I don't understand protecting yourself from abuse and things like that. Separating yourself from people who physically or verbally abuse you and there, there's problems there. But I'm just talking about someone you don't like or you don't like what they did. You know what? I'm going to set up protection. I'm going to separate from them. Be careful. You may be protecting an offense that you're going to nurture and keep alive because you won't allow them in. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, we can shut people out in the name of protection and really we're protecting the wrong thing. But move on, Chad, they love it. So the gates are burned with fire. Gates are burned with fire. So how do, how do I know it's a cause? A cause has to be something you can do something about. Cause has to be something you can do something about. When you're looking for a cause this morning, don't look at your neighbor. They can't be your cause. You can't find a person, you know what, they're my cause. I'm going to take them on. And A cause has to be your side of an issue. Your cause cannot be your marriage as a whole. Your cause can be your part of the marriage. If your cause is another person, then their decisions or lack of decisions are going to draw you around by your nose and bring great frustration into your life because you cannot change people. Your cause can't be fixing a person. That person is a fixer-upper. They're my cause. I'm going to commit to them. Be careful. <laughs> Enjoy that little journey. If a person becomes your fixer-upper that is not named you, then you're begging for problems in your life. Let your first fixer-upper project be the man or woman in the mirror. I say, I'm going to commit myself to fixing that ugly mug right there. I'm going to, think, 
I'm going to do something about him. I'm going to, I'm going to, he's going to be my project. She's going to be my project. So it can't be someone else. It could be your side. Here's some other things I thought about that, that could be a project, could be a cause for you. Uh, something that needs to be taken hold of, thought life. That could be a cause. You need to uh, make it a cause. I'm going to get a hold of some thought life in, my, in myself. Maybe addictions that you're dealing with. I'm going to, that's going to be a cause. I'm going to rebuild that. Get a uh, hold of some addictions. Unmet financial needs. That's something I can do something about. I'm going to give to that project. I can do something. A cause is something I can do something about. That's what you're looking for. If you're looking for, what's my cause? It's something you can do something about. People with plumbing problems, that's something you can do something about. Kids in school, you want to you teach them, you want to nurture them, you want to show them love as a teacher. That's a cause you can get involved with as something you can do something about. As long as your goal is not changing those kids, your goal is bringing everything you can to those kids. I'm telling you, whatever you get involved with as a cause, make sure your focus is what you can give, not what they're going to respond if your cause becomes how someone responds, you're going to have great frustration because people's not going to respond like you want them to respond. You're going to be pouring out everything you can and nobody's responding and affirming you and nobody's calling your business. Nobody's doing, you got to make sure your, your cause is something you can do something about. There are a lot of causes in the world, but not everyone's the one that you need to get involved with. And just because there's a need doesn't mean it's your cause. Just because someone else says, hey, hey, somebody needs to do something about this. Be careful that you don't say, okay, well, I guess I will if no one else will. Be careful. Don't take on other people's causes. Don't take on other people's causes. Don't take on other people's assignments. Don't respond to need only. So, so you go, okay, Chad, well, then how do I know I'm supposed to respond to that cause? I'm glad you asked. Verse 4 tells us why we should, how we know we're going to respond to a cause. Look at verse 4. They just told this to Nehemiah. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here's the second part of the process. First one's a cause. Number two is you got to have some compassion. What makes it your cause is when it moves you. When it brings compassion on the inside of him. You know, if I'm in Shushan... Many, many miles from broken down walls, and I'm in the palace, living in the palace, serving the king, I'm living a pretty good life. But when I hear about desperation of someone else and it moves my heart, here's a key for you for this stage. Compassion is a matter of the heart. It is something that is internally motivated and not externally motivated. It's not simply acting in response to a need, but when a need moves your heart, how do I know it's my cause? Well, when I have compassion for it that maybe other people don't have. You're not going to have compassion about every cause. And it does not make that cause insignificant just because you don't have compassion for it. There's 7 billion people on the planet, God's spreading the wealth. Don't feel guilty because you don't have compassion for every cause. Feel convicted when you don't have compassion for any cause. People are like, well, I just don't have any compassion for that thing. Well, tell me what you do have compassion about. Well, really not much. Okay, then you need the Holy Spirit to speak to your life. <laughs> you know? 
But this is, this is one of the things that I put on here. You will never rebuild the walls of your life until you have first become compassionate about the ruins. You'll never rebuild the walls in an area of your life until you become compassionate about the ruins, unless it touches your heart. The need alone will not sustain you. You have to have compassion about it. You have to be internally motivated. You have to have the heart to do something. Compassion is when you have the heart to do something about the condition of others, even at the expense of your convenience or time. Let me say that again. Compassion is when you have a heart to do something about the condition of someone else, even if it costs you something. I'm Nehemiah. I'm living in a palace. I'm living the high life. Everything's going great. I'm serving the king wine. That's my big job. I taste wine and give it to the king. What kind of gig is that? I'm a wine taster. But I hear about people in despair and walls broken down. And what happens? He goes and weeps, cries, prays, and fasts. When you fast, you know compassion has hit your life. Nobody's fasting just for kicks. So there's a second stage. You've got to realize you've got to have compassion for something. Compassion will move you. When Jesus went out and saw the great multitude in Matthew 14, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Jesus had been out serving and helping people, tried to get away, tried to hide, tried to get some alone time, crossed with a boat over to the other side. People saw him leaving and chased him down. He's trying to get some rest. And he sees all these needy people and what moved him? Compassion, compassion, something on the inside. There was a cause. He said, people need healing and I'm the healer. I have something to offer them, so I'm gonna give it. That's what compassion looks like. Love should be our motivating factor for our cause. You can write that down. Love should be our motivating factor for our cause. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. Love, the second part of your, of your process, the, the compassion side, love should compel us to do things. If you're not compelled by love to do something, you will not last at that thing. If love is not your motivating factor for your cause then it won't be long, you will be frustrated and you will give up because you're not appreciated. But if I'm internally motivated, I don't care if they do me, appreciate me. I am compelled by love. The love of Christ compels me. There's two things about the love of Christ. There's two directions on that. The love of Christ, Christ's love for me. Christ loves for you. His love for you should compel you to help other people. His love for you, you're doing it out of his love for you. You're grateful for his love. So his love for you compels you. But then there's a second part that. The love of Christ, now not just his love for me, but it's also his love in me. Because your Bible says that the Holy Spirit pours the love of God in your heart. And so now the love of Christ compels me. What is that? How does that give me encouragement? It gives me encouragement because when my love runs out, his love will keep me going. The love of Christ. Chad's love, empty. Love of Christ keeps me going. Anybody ever been like that? That your love is out? You're like, done, I'm tired. I will not take it anymore. But the love of Christ compels me. 
There's a reserve tank in your heart through the Holy Spirit that the love of Christ will help you give when someone says, I'm going to keep taking and taking, but the love of Christ, it's powerful. You're not working on your own love. You're working on the love of Christ. There's times when I feel like I'm out, I'm done, I can't take it anymore. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What about my love? Love of Christ compels. Love of Christ will compel you. So now let's look at the third part. We gotta, we gotta move through this. Third one. So you got cause, you got compassion. Now number three, you gotta have correction. Look at verse five. And, he, and I said, this is Nehemiah, I said, so he has compassion. He prays before the God of heaven. He says, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. So what does he do? He starts praying to God. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Here's the third part. If you're going to rebuild anything, there has to be a cause. You have to have compassion about it, but then you have to have the third. You have to have correction. There has to be a change. There has to be a repentance. You can see a need to change. You can even want to change, but if there is no correction, it will never be rebuilt. Nehemiah saw a cause, man, the walls are torn down. That's bad. They need to be rebuilt. Ah, I prayed. I was was moved emotionally. I want to do that. I want to help it. But at some point, the rubber needs to meet the road and we have to actually make the corrective steps to rebuild that area of our life. We have to go back and figure out how did it get in ruins in the first place? What do we need to change? And so Nehemiah starts to pray and he says, God, we have forsaken you. That's how we got in this mess. We abandoned your ways and started doing our own ways. That's how we got in this mess. So in areas of your life you need to be rebuilt, we need to go back and say, Lord, where did I abandon your ways and start doing it my ways? Where where did I start looking at myself? Where did I stop depending on God and I started depending on my own intelligence? When did I stop depending on the word of God and I started depending on my own ability to figure things out? When did I allow the convictions of the culture to determine my values instead of the values based on the word of God? He said, when did you walk away from me? We got to have correction. It's the acknowledgement of what we need to change. And because it's difficult to rebuild unless you recognize your error, unless we recognize what's going wrong. We're going to keep making the same mistake. How many people, maybe how many times have we in our own life Realized we needed a change, wanted to make a change, but we weren't willing to make the steps that we needed to make to make that change, and we kept making the same mistakes over and over and over. Has anybody ever ran around the same mountain other than me wanting to make a change, needing to make a change? I know I got to do something different. When am I going to do it? I tell you when I did it is when I finally began to repent and say, God, I need you and I depend on you. I'm going to look to you to be my source, my strength. Look what Revelations 2.5 says, remember Therefore, when where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. You need to rebuild an area of your life today. Number one, repent. The word repent just means change the way you think. The way we think is what gets us into ruins. When our thoughts are our thoughts instead of his thoughts being our thoughts. 
So he says, repent, change the way you think, and then begin to return and do the first works. What are the first works? They're God's works. Go back and begin to build according to his plans. Begin to build according to his process. There's an action or an inaction or a way of thinking that caused an area of our life to get into ruins, and we gotta change that to figure out how we can get out of that. Let's go to the, uh, the next part. But our, let me ask you this question as we go. Are you willing to make the necessary corrections that are needed in order to rebuild areas of your life? Are you willing to make those corrections? If you're not, then it's just gonna be a nice desire. You know what? I, I need to do something about that. Those are the famous last words of every procrastinator in the history of mankind. Man, I really need to do something about that. You know, I need to clean that room up. I need to organize that area over there sometime. That junk drawer there, I, but somebody needs to do something about that. I got a lot of thoughts running around the track. I'm just letting them go. <laughs> I'm just thinking about my own application. I could give you some stories. But we got, we got to move on. So are you willing to make the necessary corrections to rebuild? Number, the fourth part, verse 8. Fourth part is confession. So we got a cause. we got compassion. Now we got correction. Now confession. This is the direction setting. What now? What are we going to do? I'm willing to correct. I'm, I'm, I'm repenting from what I did do past tense. Now I'm ready to see what am I going to do future tense. Verse 8. Here's what Nehemiah starts to pray. Remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if, <laughs> he's, he's talking to God, right? So he's reminding God of his word. If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So notice what he says. Nehemiah starts speaking. He starts confessing and he starts reminding God. He starts telling God on what he said he would do. He starts bringing God's word back to God. When you rebuild an area of your life, you need to bring God's word back into your heart and then you need to bring it back up before God's heart. Nehemiah in the process of rebuilding says, you know what? We're in a bad situation. We forsook you, God. We abandoned you. And I'm sorry about all of that. I repent of that. It's awful. But you said, if we came back, if we turned our hearts, if we changed, you would do this. So Lord, I'm saying we will commit to do our part and I'm asking you to stand and hold your part. If you, I don't, you said, well, here's the problem. The enemy wants to get you so disqualified that you won't even remind God of what he's promised you. The enemy wants to get you so down. He wants to get me so down that he wants to get us in shame, get us in a place where we feel this. I deserve it. Or I don't deserve it. No, I don't deserve it. I asked for this. I made my bed. Now I'm going to have to lie in it. I get all of that. But there was this thing called the cross. <laughs> And the blood of Jesus that I'm pretty sure took care of all of our sins. Now we can change the gospel and make it about our works and what we deserve if we want. But we're not going to end up very good if we go back to that system. I'm just saying. But once we get saved, there's that tendency to want to go back to that system of what we deserve. But I'm telling you what Jesus did on the cross paid for it all. Paid for it all. 
So now all we have to do is recognize what was paid for us and now just begin to remind God of his promises and be bold enough to step into what he said and receive it. The nerve of you to receive the promises of God in your state and condition. You realize a mess you've made of your life? Yeah, and now I remember the one who died so that I could fix my life and I'm going back to him. We gotta have that recognition. We can either stay where we are or we can realize what he did so we can come out of it. So Nehemiah, he had, he had some courage to say, God, remember, you said, I said. You think God's offended by that? I heard somebody say, well, you people just think you can boss God around all the time, tell him what to do. You people, who's you people? What are you talking about? Let me give you some scripture. Here's what God said. Isaiah 43, 26. He says, put me in remembrance. <laughs> Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. I don't think God's offended if I remind him. He says, put me in remembrance, Chad. Come on, tell me. Tell me something. Tell me what I said. Remind me what I've told you. Come on, boy. Not because he forgot. He didn't tell me to remind him because he forgot. He tells me to remind him so that he knows that I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah tell me what I said. I know what I said, but I want to make sure you know what I said. Remind me, put me in remembrance of my word because when his word comes out of our mouth and we remind him, he says, whoa, wait a minute, that's my word. Jeremiah says, I watch over my word to perform it. He says, my word will not come back to me void, but it will accomplish what I sent it to do. So remind me, tell me my word, tell me something, boy. Tell me, Nehemiah, I know you're in captivity. I know you guys forsook me for a long time. You've been in captivity, I get all that, but tell me my word because I've been waiting to redeem you. I've been waiting to bring you out. See, God's not frustrated. He's not up there going, you, you will stay in exile. I'm, I don't wanna listen to you, Nehemiah. But that's the picture we get of God. The picture we get is that we made our bed and we're lying in it and God's happy about it. That'll teach you. Forsake me, will you? Go get drunk on the weekend. I'll teach you. Have a wreck in the hospital. I'm glad you're there. That's what some people think. That's the message some people portray. That God's happy about that. He's not happy about that. Here's the, here's the attitude of God. He's always ready, waiting. Come on, come on, see my word. Remind me of my word. I want to help you. I want to get you out of there. I know you got yourself in that mix, but you can't get yourself out. Ask me, ask me, ask me. I believe it's what he's saying. So you made a ruin of your life. Walls are torn down, gates are burned. That's your condition in the area of your life this morning. You're like, I screwed it up. I made a mess, I know, me too. But God's saying, ask me. Remind me of my words. Remind me of what I said. Remind me, remind me, come on, come on, bring it to my attention. Look what it says in verse 10, I gotta finish this. It says now, here's what Nehemiah, let's see how bold Nehemiah is. He says, God, now these are your servants, your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Five, you are yours in one sentence. <laughs> Who was Nehemiah putting the focus on? He was putting it back on God. 
God, these are your people. You redeemed them. They're your servants. And it's gonna take your power and your strong hand. He was, he was aligning his dependency on the one who could actually help him. You, God, you're the one who wants this more than I do. Your people, you redeemed them. Here's Nehemiah is just reminding God of his own intent. He wants to set them free. How does that apply to you? God wants you delivered. He wants your areas of your life rebuilt more than you want them rebuilt. So when you remind God about it, he's not like, well, keep begging me, maybe I will. He's like, man, I want it more than you do. Just ask me. So here's what I, I don't have time to finish the rest of it, but it's, it's really good. Maybe, maybe read verse 11 just to close out this. And he says, so Nehemiah says, oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants. Look at these, your and your, your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. We'll talk about that more next week. But I want you to see Nehemiah was one man, but he was praying and speaking for a group of people and he stepped in the gap for a cause. And because one man said, God, I'll go. You're gonna see by the time we get through with this that the entire desire of God was fulfilled because one man said, I'll accept that cause. It may be one woman that says, I'll do it. One woman, Esther, said, I'll do it. Thank you, Esther. We're gonna talk about her in this series. But see, I'm, I just want you to understand the cause that God's giving you. I, I want us to pray, and, but I want, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts because I believe there's people here that, that your walls are torn down, your gates are burned with fire. And man, the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to ask me. I want you to hear a cause this morning. If you're a believer, already a follower of Jesus, there's a cause that has your name on it. There's a cause that you've been wired for. And it involves your effort, it involves your decision to do what you can do to be a part. What are you moved to compassion for right now? You will never, ever be able to rebuild the walls of a situation until you have compassion for the ruins. needs to be confession, needs to be repentance. Lord, I acknowledge I screwed up in that area. Lord, I acknowledge that I neglected you and that's why my walls got torn down. That's why I allowed the enemy in when he shouldn't have got in and that's how, that's why I went out when I shouldn't have went out. Lord, I just pray, I, I repent today and I say, Jesus, help me. I want those walls to be built back again. the correction and now the confession of here's where I'm going are you willing in that state to have the boldness to say God I remember your word says even if I screw up that I am saved by grace through faith and that if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness 
So whether you're a follower of Jesus or this morning, you don't know whether you are, you have the same opportunity to say, God, I repent of my mistakes and I'm turning today. And I'm gonna remind the Lord of his word. Maybe you need to remind him of the promises that he's put on your relationships, on your situation, on, on, a, on a business, or I don't know what it is, but you need to remind him of what he said to you. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to hearts. God, just speak to me. Speak to me, God. I want walls restored. I want gates back where they need to be, God, giving access where it needs to be given. Lord, we just thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. God, I pray over every person here that they will hear the cause that you put on the inside of them, that they'll be moved with compassion, that the love of Christ will continue to compel them forward to do everything that you've called them to do. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord. God, we ask for correction. I pray for adjustments that need to be made, that we not just see there needs to be something done, we want something done, but Lord, I pray that we will have the courage to make the changes to see it come to pass. And God, we just begin to confess in agreement with your word. Yes, Lord, we remind you of your word. We put you in remembrance today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, just receive that. If you're, as you're, if you're already a follower of Jesus, I want you to just receive from the Holy Spirit what he's speaking into your heart. I, you know God's bringing into your awareness walls that are down, gates that are burned that he's wanting you to focus on. Don't try and fix everything. We're gonna talk about in this series that you fix a little bit at a time. You just bring your attention to the area that God is highlighting and say, okay, I'm gonna do something about that. You can't reorganize the whole house, but you can organize one part at a time.